It is so good to be back with you all. I feel like some of your um, faces I just haven't seen in way too long. I don't know if this time of year if that's my fault or your fault, but we just haven't been around as much with um, Mexico, Snowmageddon, all the things. And so I have so many stories I would want to bring you this morning. The moral of all of them would sum up to this. God is real, and he is really on the move. Uh, The students in Mexico, I saw them so emboldened. I saw students free from fear. It was incredible. I had my voice taken away, literally, and given back to me, mostly. I um, got to stand in one of the most sacred and holy spaces I've ever been in and just feel completely overcome by the presence of God. And I am just more convinced, maybe than ever, that God is real And I'm really afraid that that statement is just not as impressive or um, groundbreaking as I want it to be. Because we swim in these cultural waters where we're just a little overexposed, I think, to religion. And have grown a bit cynical about religion, whether um, it's judgmental or too political or empty. But all the things together, as a culture, we're pretty darn sick of religion which is why that's what we've titled uh, the series that we're in, Sick of Religion, second week in. What's perhaps shocking to us is that in the days of Jesus, he was seemingly feeling a lot of the same things about religion, too political, judgmental, and empty. And he took the religious people head on. And not so much in a debate form, but in incredible demonstrations of faith and of power that were meant to display that God is real and that what Jesus is offering is a new kind of reality. And so we are going to um, invest in the stories of Jesus this morning and in the stories of uh, Jesus, both ancient and current. And what I'm hoping is that for some of you, God might re-spark a curiosity as to whether or not all this God stuff is real. Or if you're already convinced, would you be bolstered in your faith? Um, in the faith that Jesus is offering that I really do believe is truly real. So we are in the gospel of Mark and we are in chapter two. And before I bring that passage to you, I want to pray and ask that God would make this text alive and new to us. So join me in praying. Holy Spirit, we ask again for your presence, for your revelation, for your understanding, and for your wisdom. Jesus, would your word to us today be alive and be what we need for abundant life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So hear this story of Jesus from Mark chapter 2. I'm going to begin with verse 1. I'm somebody who likes to keep referring back to the Bible. So you may want to grab a pew Bible in front of you. We're on page 837, Mark chapter 2. And this is how it starts. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum, it's his hometown, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And Jesus was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. 
And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they'd made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes, it's the religious people, they were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sons are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. This is the word of God and it's given to you so that you might know God and have abundant life. So that's the ancient story of Jesus. Let me tell you something that Jesus has been up to recently. I got to go to Mexico with the youth and my team in Ensenada got to go every day into a rehab center where there was about a dozen mostly teenage girls who were overcoming addictions of different types. You would have recognized the girls. They're really not that different from us. They had the serenity prayer written on their wall. Some of you might have recognized that. They liked to braid their hair just like our girls. They loved pop music and painting fingernails. There's a nice picture of that. There you go. In other ways, they were very different. Um, They grew up very differently than I grew up. One of the girls, Patty, um, grew up in a home where her mom used heroin in front of her. So she's in for a heroin addiction. uh, Another woman, Evelyn, shared with us about her situation with domestic violence. Another woman who really had my heart, her name was Veronica. She came up to about here, and she asked us to call her Shorty. And she uh, had joined a gang at a young age, and then here she was at the age of 42. And we got to spend each day with these women. The third day that we were there, two of our girls shared their stories of meeting God with the women which was really beautiful because their stories are, again, this, this common darkness, this common experience of evil and of separation from God that we can all identify with. Issues of anxiety and of family brokenness and self-image. And we were just realizing we're, we're all on the same boat here, separated from God, looking for God to come and to fill us. And so as Kaylee finished her testimony, Shorty, who'd been standing out, actually physically outside of the circle the whole time, she breaks into the circle and she says, I want to feel something. I lost my heart so long ago, I don't even know how to find it again. But something, something, I'm starting to feel something. 
And so I asked if we could pray for her. And so she knelt down in the center and she allowed all of us to put our hands on her shoulder, both our team and the girls who lived in the center. And we prayed over her, praying that the Lord would help her find her heart again, that the Holy Spirit would go all the way to the bottom of her heart and fill her up with the love of God. And none of us will ever forget what Shorty said then. She cries out to Jesus and she says, I you the may. I you the me, which means help me, help me. And so I asked Shorty, Shorty, do you want Jesus in your heart? And she said, I do. And I said, sister, you're going to have to find the words to ask Jesus to come and to fill you and to forgive you. And so right then we all got to bear witness to her asking the Lord Jesus to come in and to fill her and to forgive her. And in that moment, all of us got to experience the opposite of sin and brokenness. As we experience together God drawing near and filling Shorty. And then we all felt the celebration of heaven as Shorty, this daughter of God, was returned into the family of God. And it was an incredibly holy moment. What I love is that the story of Shorty could never have happened before this story in Mark chapter 2 could never have happened. People in the days of this paralytic, they understood the severity of sin. They understood the condition of being separated from God. But if they wanted to come back to God, to draw near to God and ask for forgiveness, they would have had to offer animal sacrifices, not just once, but multiple times. If Shorty had wanted to draw near to the presence of God, she would have had to travel to Israel, to the city of Jerusalem, to the temple, to just get near God's presence. But it would not have ever been possible for the Holy Spirit to fill her, to find her heart and to dwell within her because she could never have been holy enough to have withstood the presence of the holy God dwelling within her. But Jesus here offers something so radically new, so radically different in this simple offering of forgiveness. So I want us to return to this story in Mark chapter 2 and discover the, the radical nature of the full solution that Jesus offers to the problem of sin, of brokenness, and of being separated from God. So allow me to act this out for you because I'm a visual person and I think it'll help all of us, okay? So what happens in Mark 2 is that Jesus comes back into Capernaum, his hometown where he's already been in Mark, and he returns to his home. It's probably Peter's house. And as he gets there, everybody's expecting Jesus to be able to heal. So the crowds have come and pressed in on the house so much that you can't even get in the front door. And Jesus is teaching them. He's already gained a reputation in Mark for teaching about the kingdom of God. Teaching about this new way of being in relationship with God. That starts with repentance. With saying, my life is plagued with sin and I want to turn and I want to go a new direction. To repent and to believe in God. So here Jesus is teaching about this new way of the kingdom. And then in this story we get a dramatic showing, a dramatic demonstration demonstration of what that new way of the kingdom looks like. And it happens when four friends, they carry their, their paralytic friend from way off, come up to the house, and they can't get into the door. So ingenuity here, they climb up on top of the roof and they tear up 
the roof to lower their friend down to the feet of Jesus. What's interesting is the text says that when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the friends, he sends to the son, to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. There were two conditions that were very real about the paralytic. One was that he was physically paralyzed. Everybody could see that. He was laying on a mat. But Jesus could also see an internal condition even more real and equally paralyzing, which was that he was experiencing sin, being separated from God. So Jesus, being Jesus, addresses the inner unseen condition first. And seeing the faith of the friends, the faith that believed that there was a new way of being with God that meant healing and being able to come right into the presence of God, seeing the faith to believe that, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And I wonder, do we believe the miracle of that moment? Do we believe in the miracle of the forgiveness, the deep inner healing? Because I think if I had been the four friends who'd come from a long way off and laid my friend at the feet of Jesus, I honestly might have been a little disappointed. Because my friend is still on the mat, and I expected Jesus to heal him. And the forgiveness sounds good, but I can't see anything. It doesn't seem as real to me. When we walked into that rehab clinic in Ensenada, there was a lot of things that you could see. You could see teeth that were missing from meth use. You could see the eyes that were cast down in shame. And so we addressed those outward things. We brought in nail polish and pop music and I think mercifully tried to bring some joy onto the surface of these women's lives. But we would have been remiss had we not addressed the deeper issues, the deeper issues of healing, where these women didn't know that they were loved by people, let alone loved by God. And so we also brought to them the stories of meeting God and knowing his very real forgiveness in our own lives. And Shorty, who'd stood on the outside of the pop music, man, when she heard that, that was the need she knew. She knew that she needed the the deep internal forgiveness of Jesus. And she knew that Jesus had made a way with a simple word. She didn't have to have a perfect life. She didn't have to live out religion perfectly. All she needed was the word, Ayuthame, help me. And in the paralytic and shorty and me, we see the truth of the reality of that forgiveness. So that's all happening in the living room. Meanwhile, the religious people are nearby and they are put out about Jesus offering this forgiveness. If you want to think well of them, you can go with their internal thoughts about only God could offer holiness, forgiveness, and they were um, jealous for the Lord's holiness. But knowing the religious people as we do in the rest of the story of Jesus, I actually think a little bit more cynically of them. That they were put out, that Jesus was entering into their territory. They were the ones with the business of forgiveness. And when Jesus offers forgiveness with a word, it tramples on their territory and what pays their bills and what keeps them in business. People having to come back and offer forgiveness over and over and over again. So Jesus hits him head on and he says, I see what you're thinking. 
It goes something like this. Which do you think is easier? Do you think it's easier for me to just say the words, your sins are forgiven you? Is that easier than telling this paralytic to get up and walk? I tell you, it's not easier. It would be incredibly hard for Jesus to offer forgiveness. He knew that in order to take care of all of the sin of the world, offer forgiveness to everyone, it was going to be at the cost of his life. He would die on the cross in order to take on the sin of the world and destroy it forever and make forever a way for everyone to be in relationship with God. And Three days after he died, he would be resurrected and his resurrection would be the proof that his forgiveness is real and that the new life that he offers to the paralytic, to Shorty, to me, to you, that's real. And it's eternal. And so Jesus is not going to tolerate the religious people continuing in this business of religion. And so he says to them, okay, so, so that you would know that I have the authority that at a mere word of forgiveness, this man is clean. Verse 10, so that you would know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sin. I love it. He's talking to the religious people there. Then he turns to the paralytic Go ahead, take up your mat and walk. Go home. And so the man goes running out and the religious people are are stopped in their tracks. There's a new way to life with God. The outer healing that Jesus performs on this paralytic is a demonstration that he really has the deeper authority to set right people in their relationship with God. And it's a beautiful thing. Some of you today need the freedom of the paralytic and of shorty of me to just cry out, help me. Maybe you've never acknowledged that all the brokenness that you experience, the anxiety, the anger, the greed, the illness, the root cause of that is sin, is separation from God. And Jesus offers to you a beautiful solution. So I'll tell you what I told Shorty. Find in your own words the way to ask Jesus to come and to fill you and to forgive you. He so longs to do that. Some of you today are like the four friends. You've seen the ravage that sin has brought to the friends and the family of your life. And I want to ask you to carry them to Jesus. Pray for them. Take to them your story of how Jesus forgave you and set you right with God. Let them experience, encounter Jesus through you. Some of you, we're going to take a new tack on this tonight. Some of you are more like the homeowner. I'm, I'm feeling like the homeowner these days. Let me tell you about the homeowner. He was probably Peter, right? Um, I'll, I'll get to that in a second, why I think that. But Peter would have been standing right here in the living room of his own house when he heard the digging at the roof. He was the one standing in the living room, feeling the dust falling and suddenly seeing sunlight through his living room. 
He would have seen the paralytic then brought straight to the feet of Jesus. He would have heard the proclamation, son, your sins are forgiven you. And he probably would have been knocked over as that guy ran out of his front door, right? And at the end of that story, do you think he looked up and said, hey, who's going to fix my roof? I want to give Peter more credit, but honestly, this, this Mark story is the one that tells us about the digging up the, of the roof. So I'm pretty sure he, the homeowner, was the one who passed on the story. But that's not the last word he leaves us with. The last word that he leaves us with is verse 12. All were amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Peter got the roof torn off his house, but he got to be front row center to witness the amazing things that God was doing things he'd never seen before. And the roof is being torn off of the Hackman house. Our life is getting a little disrupted. And news to you, the Chapel Hill community life is getting a little disrupted. And we are front row center witnesses to the amazing things that God is doing among us. About a year ago, Pastor Mark asked me if I would go up to Port Orchard and just discern, was there any reason that 131 families at the time were commuting from South Kitsap to Gig Harbor on a regular basis for worship services? About 10% of our congregation coming from South Kitsap. So I went up there for three days with a friend of mine and with two questions. The first is, is there spiritual hunger in Port Orchard? And the second question was, are there people with kingdom imagination? That is, are there people who see this world for more than it is? Are there people who are striving and working toward something beyond themselves that lasts forever, whether, the, whether or not they know Jesus or not? And we were blown away by what we found. And so here's our big announcement. <laughs> I am being called to plant a church in Port Orchard, Chapel Hill, Port Orchard. And we are sending me to lead a community of people, not not just me. I'm going to lead a community of people that are going to introduce and reintroduce faith, not religion, but belief. And the forgiveness that Jesus offers to a community in a town that I've heard for the last 10 months crying out, I, you the may help me. I've seen people on metaphorical stretchers who are, who are desperate to be free, desperate to see something real. And now that I've seen that, I can't ignore it. We've got to go. My first day in Port Orchard, I met a woman who's become really a close friend. And when I met her, the first thing we talked about was um, an infertility journey. We have a very similar infertility story. That's my friend, Becky. She's not that friend, but this is Becky who was with me. But when we met her, it was just the start of a relationship. And a couple months later, she would sit across from me at Coffee Oasis, across from the table, and say, Megan, I need to reconnect with God. I don't know how to. It's been too long. Will you help me? That was just one person on day one. On day two, I took a dozen donuts into the bank where Steve Maxwell works. And the first person that I met, Laura Dell, was um, sitting there. She said she couldn't eat donuts. It was a really funny uh, little interaction. But within five minutes, 
She was asking my friend Becky and I to pray that she would be set free from anxiety. Day three, I met a pastor there who, by the end of our lunch, asked me, please come and plant a church in Port Orchard. We so need the witness of Jesus here. And so over the last 10 months, it has just been reiterated to me over and over again that we need to go. It's not incongruent with what we've been doing for the last 18 months. We've been talking about going beyond these walls, right? And how we're going to be called to send leaders. This time it's me and maybe it's you. We've been, we know that God's calling us to make disciples and we want to do that by expanding our life groups and by probably starting a worship service somewhere around 2020. We know that God is calling us to love our neighbor and God has opened doors for us to do that through Coffee Oasis, through Alpha, and through, I'm sure, other things that you guys will bring now that you're in the loop, right? But this is the call of God on our congregation right now and it's pulling up the roof a little bit. That's okay. We're also getting to bear witness to the amazing things that God is doing. Uh, we are not alone in um, feeling like it's time for, for God to move. There are others in Port Orchard who are ready to make room, to be homeowners who will make room for people to encounter the presence of Jesus. And I want you to hear some of their stories. It starts with Colleen Simpson, who's one of our deacons, and today one of our candidates for elders. So listen to what God Well, say I didn't her. have any idea that I would be retiring in Port Orchard. I grew up here. I did not think I would be coming back here. But as circumstances happened, I did. And then, um, like I said, commuting to Gig Harbor for church um, left me not being so involved with the community. Just that coming home feeling it excites me personally. And then on a bigger scale to, to, to um, spread that feeling towards, towards each other, that we are, we are family, we are community together. And everybody is trying to support it in their own unique gifts. I'm Dave Green, and I'm the campus pastor for the Capital Christian Center in Port Orchard. There's plenty of uh, people who need to know Jesus running around loose in Kitsap County, and especially in Port Orchard. I believe it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. My church is a little older set, and uh, I was excited to see a young couple coming into town, because there's a lot of young people in Port Orchard that don't attend church. Uh, that don't have uh, a faith orientation at all. And because I believe it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people, I want to encourage everybody. There's a variety of churches, denominations, non-denominational, in our town, mostly small, but um, I think each one has a unique calling. And God has a lot of folks here that aren't in his family that he wants in his family. So it's going to take all of us to get them. Uh, as the churches work together more and more, we're, we're not in competition with each other. We're all on the same team. And I, I teach that in my membership class, that we're not in competition with the other, the other churches. They are our co-workers uh, in God's kingdom. I'm Carol Gresset. I work at Josephine's in Port Orchard. Downtown Port Orchard is the heart of our small town. And I think that it would be amazing to have you growing part of downtown Port Orchard with us. I think that there's a lot of young people who are looking for a place to go to church, but maybe haven't been invited. And just seeing something might give them the opportunity to come in and just check it out. When you talked about Beyond These Walls and Loving Gig Harbor, I just felt so called to love Port Orchard, to love my neighbors. So I got to thinking about who my neighbor was. It's just so exciting to get involved with people that I knew 40-some years ago and that they have been steadfastly 
praying and, and, and furthering the kingdom of God. And I just want to be part of it with them in my, in my community. My hope in Port Orchard would be that the Lord leads people here and helps grow our community in a loving and helpful way where people are coming together and doing things in this town that haven't been done before. I'm excited to see as many churches as we can get because it's going to take all of us to get uh, this county in God's family. So I'm going to take a little temperature. How are you guys feeling? All right. Okay, good. I know it's a little unsettling to feel somebody scratching at the top of the roof and wondering if the whole thing's going to fall down. Okay, I get that. But I really, I really do want you to hear that Jesus is right in the heart of what we're doing here. I don't know why he's chosen us as a people and this little part of the peninsula, but this is where he's meeting people. And we are seeing people set free. And I am so glad that we are getting to be a part of this moment in history. The time is urgent. Jesus's forgiveness is too good. His freedom is too real to not go. And so I'm really prayerful that For Chapel Hill, for Gig Harbor, our story for years to come will be that we all were amazed and glorified God and said, man, we've never seen anything like this. So I'm not going on my own. I want you to go with me. And so Pastor Mark is going to come and let you know this is really a we, not a me. How's that? Okay. How many were surprised by the announcement that Megan is going to be heading up to Port Orchard? Anybody surprised? Okay, three of you. You were surprised? It's the worst kept secret in the church. (laughs) Two years ago, when we began talking about Beyond These Walls, for those of you who are new to us, it was a dream that we would pay off our $5.5 million of debt, and then we would use the proceeds that we're normally paying down rent or paying our mortgage with, we would use that to invest in ministries that move us beyond these beautiful walls that we have built. We felt a call, though, to, to move out, to move beyond these walls, the comfort of these walls, the security of this place. And so I met with hundreds of you uh, in meetings at various times, and I began to, to talk about the, what that might look like to move beyond these walls. And I, do, I remember very vividly, at, at one point I said, it was the last thing, it was, I said, you know, here, here's a BHAG, that means a big, hairy, audacious goal. What if God might even cause us to plant another church somewhere else? It really, at that time, it seemed outlandish. We had, I had no idea where that would be. I had no idea when it would be, and I had no idea who it would be. And God apparently liked the idea because it's happened a lot faster than we imagined uh, in a place that we are very comfortable and familiar with, as it turns out. And the person that's going to be going is the person to my right. When I sent the blog out this week, I told you this is bittersweet. Speaking personally, it is very bittersweet for me. It's bitter because I love this young woman. She is incredible. Uh, She is an anointed preacher a great leader, a great thinker, and she's the only one on the staff that really gets me. She and I are, are almost That's identical true. on personality tests, so That's I can true. finally turn to Megan and say, you know what I mean, and she knows what I mean, and I'm losing that. Um, so it's, 
in that sense, it's, it's, it's bitter for me, and it's going to be bitter for us, because that's a loss. Could I just say this, though? We don't really mean it when we say we want to move beyond these walls if we're not willing to sacrifice. If we're not willing to pay something, pay a price to reach the loss for Christ, then we don't really mean it. If what we mean is we'll send our, the, the scraps that we have, we'll send those people that we really don't need too badly around here, then we aren't very serious about this, but we are dead serious about this. And so this is going to be costly, and that's, that's hard. That's bitter. Here's what's sweet about it. It's Port Orchard. It's 20 minutes away. We're not, we're not talking Kenya here. No. And even more than that, it's sweet because it's an opportunity for us to do the same thing that we say we want to do, to share the love of Christ. Can you imagine pastors in the community saying, Chapel Hill, we want you to come. I mean, ordinarily it's the other way around, but they're saying, we want you to come. We need the DNA that you can bring into our church community. And it's also sweet because it's a chance for us to be a part of that. Let me be clear on this. We're not sending Megan off, dropping her in, parachuting her in, saying, good luck, here's a few bucks, go for it. This is going to be Chapel Hill Port Orchard. It's going to be one board of session, one, one board of elders, one session, one budget. Uh, pa- Pastor Megan is going to continue to be on our team, but her office is not going to be here. It's going to be up there. And so it's not a they and a them. It's a we and an us. This is us, and we're just going to have another venue, one church, two fam- a family of churches, one church, but a couple of different venues to start with. And so what that means is we want you to be a part of this. We want you to be excited about this. We want to be engaged and involved in it. And so inside of your, in your bulletin, you'll find a card. Would you please pull this out? We printed this up before Snowmageddon, so some of the dates are wrong. You're going to have to really pay careful attention here. <laughs> But we want you to take a look at this. And this is an example of some ways that you might be involved. Pastor Megan? So the, the first is just to join us to pray. We've really found that over the last 10 months, God's really been breaking through in prayer. And if you want to join us in that, you can. Um, the, the tricky one is that, is that first sub-bullet point about the town halls. We know that you guys have a ton of questions. Some of them we have answers for. Some of them we don't. Five minutes up here is definitely not enough to explain. So we are making ourselves available. Mark, Larry, and I will be together at two town halls this week. So I want you to think of that first bullet point, Sunday. There's still a Sunday town hall. It's today. Um, Sunday, March 3rd. It's going to be in Port Orchard, though. So at 4 o'clock at Josephine's, and that address is just below 701 Bay Street. So if you want to come tonight, will you let me know? We're providing soup, and it would just help me to know how many I'm feeding. The second one... um, It says Wednesday. It's not. It's Thursday, March 7th. And that one is here in Gig Harbor in the diner at 530. So will you please mark if you intend to come to either of the town halls. First one, that Sunday is Sunday, but it's in Port Orchard. The second is actually Thursday, and it's here in Gig Harbor. What we want you to do is to fill out this card for us and put it in the offering plate. If there's any way that you want to be involved in the church plant, this is a good way to let me know right now so that I can start connecting with you. We, it's still our regular offering. You want to talk about yeah. that? One of the ways, of course, is that you can support this financially. Ordinarily, when you kick off a church, you try to get uh, ple- uh, pledges for, for money that will support that undertaking. We're not doing it that way. Uh, we, this is a part of our Beyond These Walls initiative. When we have paid off all of our debt, that is how we're going to fund this ongoing. And so many of you are already supporting our Port Orchard 
initiative by being faithful donors to our Beyond These Walls initiative. By the way, we started at $5.5 million of debt. We're almost down to $2 million in debt. So we're, we're getting close there. So that's awesome. Yeah. But if you are not yet helping, if you're newer to our church... It would mean so much to us. The best way that you could help us launch this initiative would be for you to make a commitment to be on these walls, pay off that debt sooner so that we can, it will set free our resources to, to go forward. So every dollar that is pledged towards this, is, towards this initiative is going to be going through beyond these walls. I want to be real clear about that. And if you're not yet doing that, it would mean so much for us to, to join the team and be a part of that. So you'll find a place on, the, uh, on this card for you to make a commitment for the next 18 months to help us eliminate our debt and free us up to move beyond these walls as we've never done before. And I didn't say this yesterday, but I just want to say this because some of the churches were here last night. But a lot of the operating budget for Port Orchard right now is being supported by our presbytery. And last night, some of the local churches who are giving already came. So, th- so I'm raising support through our presbytery, but I'm hoping that you will support through beyond the these walls to get this mortgage paid off so that this church plant in Port Orchard is the first of our church plants and not a one-off. Yes. Okay, so bring us over the finish line. And it's a brand new presbytery that was just established. This will be the first new church to be planted in our brand new presbytery. The presbytery is thrilled about it. I hope you're thrilled about it. Yeah. I hope you're thrilled about this. This is a wonderful opportunity for us. Again, first of, not one-off. Good. So as, as we move to a time of offering, Pastor Mark's going to pray for us. You should have your hands full as these offering plates come around. If you're new to our con, if you're new here, you're a visitor, I hope you have a gray card in your hand to put in the plate to let us know you're here. If this is your church home, your regular tithe and offering, you can either give in the plate or text or give online. Um, and if you want to be a part of this church plant, please leave this for me in the offering plate. All right. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you've done in Chapel Hill, Gig Harbor. We thank you for the health of this place, for the the heritage that we have, for uh, the outreach that we've had into our community and into our region. And now, God, for the first time, we sense that you are calling us to extend the reach of this church, Chapel Hill, Port Orchard. And so, God, as we receive this offering now, both to support the work of this local congregation and also to the pledges and the support to eliminate our debt, to free up these resources. We just ask, God, for your blessing upon us. Would you please help us to be generous? You know our need. You know what this takes. Would you please stir the hearts of those who are givers? Thank you for them, and thank you for the generosity. For those who are not so easy at giving, it's not the gift. God, would you instill a deeper sense of generosity in every single heart? May we delight in what we are expecting you to do as we offer up our tithes and our offerings and our gifts beyond. For we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.